0: The teaching for this evening comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 27. This is God's Word. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we, uh, before
1: we pick back up with... Our study in Galatians, I wanted to let you know that um, I think for the first time, I think, in Red Mountain's history, uh, your elders, they did a senior pastor review. Uh, you, can, you can... I thought that would be funnier. Um, misjudged that one. Um, and I just want you to know that... Um, it was great. They, they did, they were thoughtful. Uh, they took a whole evening, uh, together, just them. And, uh, they were, I would say they were constructive. They were encouraging. They were courageous. It was, it was great. And I think it's good for you to know that, that Uh, It's been two years since my family and I moved down here, and March 1 was two years. And I can tell you from my vantage point, it's just been a pleasure to serve with uh, the men that you, the members of Red Mountain, have chosen as your leaders. And so I'm saying thank you to you for that, but I also just want you to know, I think they're doing a good job. And, you know, being reviewed, uh, I was trying to think of a metaphor for it, and I, I thought of one that's probably not that appropriate. But um, being reviewed is, is always nerve-wracking. And because you're vulnerable, you're exposed, uh, you don't know what folks are going to say. And I just want you to know I felt very cared for, I felt very safe And my hope and prayer is that as you hear me talk about that, those things you're hearing me say, pray for those very things to continue and to make their way into the very fabric of our congregation and the life of our church together. So I just wanted to let you know that 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 happened, and and I'm very thankful for it. All right, back to Galatians. Uh, We are about midway through the book of Galatians. And we're in chapters 3 and 4. And what I've been trying to say every week is that the book of Galatians is about freedom. It's about gospel freedom. It's about a freedom that no uh, political entity or individual has ever come up with. Uh, This is entirely unique to God and His ways and His grace. And it's about freedom that's not merely just an idea, but Paul's desire is that it would be something that you experience in your daily life. And it's precisely for this reason that Paul writes the letter, this letter to the churches in Galatia, because the churches he's writing to, they were in danger of turning to a different gospel. They were in danger of believing that to experience God's rescue, they... They had to add things to Jesus, that faith in Jesus wasn't enough, that there was still more that they needed to provide to what he had already done, and Paul will have none of that. And so he's writing them, and in chapters 3 and 4... Uh, he is attempting to make his case. He's defended his own ministry already in chapters 1 and 2 and his own gospel, but when he comes to chapters 3 and 4, he now begins to uh, enter into a series of arguments against the opponents, as we might call them in Galatia, uh, who were essentially saying that Paul's gospel, though true as far as it may have went, was only half a gospel maybe. And so he's In chapters 3 and 4, making his case. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked, he began with the experience of the Galatians when they first heard Paul's gospel preached and the good news about Jesus crucified for sinners. And last week, uh, we also saw how Paul not only just appeals to their experience, but roots it in Scripture, and particularly the story of Abraham, which we'll come back to tonight. But he also brings in a number of other scriptures. And so Paul is in the middle of walking us through the Bible, showing us that from the very beginning, the gospel is preached throughout the pages of scripture. And he's interested to continue to tell us, to show us how he is so confident, how he knows that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. And I want to put it to you a little bit more practically in the form of some questions that I think um, this letter particularly speaks to. In every verse and in every chapter, questions like this. What can set you free from having to prove yourself? Where can you turn for reassurance and help when you fail? How can you be sure that God isn't playing games with you That he won't just pull the rug out from under you at some point. All of those questions are questions to which Paul is trying to apply the gospel. The free grace of God. And in the verses we're going to look at tonight, even though we read uh, through verse 27, we're only going to look at verses 15 to 18 tonight. And we'll pick up with the rest uh, next week but in these in these 3 or these 4 verses verses 15 to 18 what i want to help you see is that the way in which god makes and keeps his promises is all you need to experience true gospel freedom what i want you to to hone in on tonight is that god makes promises and i want you to sit with that idea, that truth, that God, the way that he makes and the way that he keeps his promises. And so I want to look first with the big picture of these promises. And then look at the permanence of those promises and finish with the guarantee of those promises. So first, look here in verse, in verse uh, 16. I want to look at the big picture of God's promises. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring it does not say and to offsprings referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ now here paul is referencing he's he's, he's pointing us back to uh, genesis genesis chapter 12 when god says to abraham it is through your family that i'm going to bless the world it's through your family that i will bless the nations and what I, I think you need to see here is for Paul, the point here is that the gospel story is the context for everything else in the scripture. So this is Paul's one verse summary of the whole Bible. That God, after Adam and Eve had rebelled against him, he said, uh, I will, my, the, the, the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. He made at the very beginning a promise that our rebellion, our choices to make a ruin of all that he made good and true and beautiful, he would make right. And he makes a promise to Abraham. And here Paul says, but that promise was made to a specific individual. It's made to Jesus and therefore, what Paul is saying is that that promise that God made to Abraham way back then, that in Abraham's offspring, God would bless the nations. he blessed bless the whole world. What he's saying is that ultimately, that happens in Jesus. That if you want to know, how is it that God pours out His blessing, His grace on the world You have to look at Jesus. So here's what Paul is telling us is that the gospel story is the context. It is the context for everything else that we read in the Bible. That the gospel story is set in the context of God's promises, not his commands. See, that's what the opponents were saying. They were saying, if you really want to enjoy God's blessings, you need to understand those in light of what God requires of you, what kind of life he expects from you. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You have it entirely backwards. He's saying that it's the gospel promises that are first proclaimed to Abraham that set the context for everything else. And that is true in your own, in in a relationship with God. That his relationship with any one of us is built first on his promises before he ever calls you to anything. A good example of this is in Exodus chapter 20 when when God gives uh, through Moses the Ten Commandments. And before he does that, in the beginning he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God who saved you. Now, this is what it looks like to be in a relationship with me. In other words, God's promise, his commitment, his grace, his rescue provides the context for everything that follows when it comes to relating to God. Now, Paul is not saying, as we'll see uh, especially next week, that God's law is unimportant or that it's irrelevant. But rather, in verse 16, what he's trying to, to show us is that, first of all, you must grasp the breadth and the scope of God's promises in order to grasp the purpose of God's law. And to get those reversed is to misread the entire Bible. Think of it like this. Um, I, I, I wanted to rewatch this movie this weekend, but if any of you remember the movie The Sixth Sense, I actually think... That came out the year I graduated from high school. Uh, so that was in like the late mid-90s or late, not mid-90s. And the story, if you remember this story, it's Bruce Willis. And uh, he gets to, the, the, the movie comes to a conclusion. And the, it's old enough where I, I hope I don't give it away if you haven't seen it. But this will kill it. Uh, is Bruce Willis is dead at the end of the movie. And he's dead throughout the whole movie, but he thinks he's alive. And so the end of the movie is this discovery of his character realizing that all these interactions he thought he had in the movie were really not real. They weren't what he thought they were. And that movie struck me as a great illustration of how important it is to, you know, you get to the end of something like the Bible. The Bible. And you get to the conclusion of it. And the conclusion of it requires you to go back and look at everything else that you thought you knew before in a totally new light. You can never read it the same way again. The conclusion fundamentally changes how you understand everything that God has done prior to the coming of Jesus. It makes it all come together and make sense. And that is actually true for you personally too. That when Jesus breaks in on your life and he unites his life to yours by his spirit, you can no longer look at your old self, your former life the same way that you used to. You are a new creation in Christ that the end of the story fundamentally changes everything that you thought you knew and puts it in a whole new light. Now, that's the the big picture of God's promises here, but what about the permanence of these promises? You see, to help us to understand Paul gives us an everyday example. He gives us an everyday example here in verse 15 when he says To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. And he gives us this example to show then in verse 17 and 18 that when God made, made his promises to Abraham, and then Abraham died, and then along comes Moses, and 430 years later, when God gives Moses the law at Sinai, that giving of the law in no way nullified, changed, edited, undermined his previous promises that he would bless the world through Abraham's offspring. It had no impact, no change whatsoever on those promises. And in the Bible, this idea of a covenant, which we'll look at here A bit more in a moment. This idea of a covenant is a binding agreement between two people that is permanent and unbreakable no matter what the future holds. It's a binding agreement between two people that's permanent and unbreakable no matter what the future holds. In a word, it's a promise. It's a promise. One of my favorite examples of this comes at the end of uh, The Fellowship of the Ring with Samwise Gamgee where the Fellowship of the Ring breaks apart and uh, Frodo is headed on his own to Mordor and he gets on the little boat to go across the river and Samwise sees him and comes running out of the woods and jumps into this river and begins to swim and he can't swim and he starts to sink and Frodo's yelling at him to not come to stay don't come and Samwise doesn't listen to him and he begins to sink and Frodo comes in the boat and and rescues him out of the water and pulls him into the boat and he's dripping wet and looks straight at Frodo and says I made a promise Mr. Frodo a promise don't you leave him Samwise Gamgee and then Samwise says, and I don't mean to. I don't mean to. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's one of my favorite moments in all of movies and literature is that moment, that promise. And I think the problem is that few, if any of us, are as good a friend as Samwise. <laughs> and further, we all know that human covenants get broken. Perhaps much of your life has been shaped by a broken promise and you have felt it in your own home where maybe uh you have seen your parents break promises or you have broken promises and keeping promises is very hard to do particularly when things you didn't expect in the future become a reality and make it hard to keep those promises and in fact, I think our experience of broken promises makes us actually suspicious of God's promises. But if you are suspicious, or it's hard for you to believe what we're seeing here about God's promises, you're not alone. Abraham was too. And in verse 17 here, when, when Paul writes, This is what I mean, that the law which came four hundred thirty 30 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. He's taking us back to Genesis 15 and the covenant that he made with Abraham. And in Genesis 15, uh, God has already reaffirmed he's made his promise to Abraham three times. The first time, and then he's reiterated two more times. And even after doing that, Abraham still says to him, how can I know? How can I know? That what you promised me, I I will receive. That I will possess this promise. How can I know? And I just want you to pause for a moment and think about that. Right there in the pages of the Bible, you have someone asking perhaps a question you ask all the time. How can I know that God is for me? That his promises are for me? that he will follow through on them. You know, there are a few things more helpful than to see your own experiences reflected back to you in the pages of Scripture, and then to see how God responds to them, which is what he does. In response to this question, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he guarantees it. But he, he does it in a way that if you let if you let this sink into your life, it will forever change the way that you think about God, how you relate to him, it will forever change the way you think about yourself. It will give you depth and understanding of the gospel that perhaps you've never had before. That this covenant that God enters into, it's the weirdest thing. In Genesis 15, God, after this question, says to Abraham, He says, Go get a goat, get a cow, get a ram and a couple birds. And then he says, I want you to cut these animals in half, just those, not the birds. And then I want you to separate them, like separate them and make a path between them. And it's the strangest story. It especially seems strange to us. But this is how, in the ancient Near East, two people made a covenant. Is you... You took these animals and you cut them in half and you separated them and you made a path between them. And what you did was you walked between them. And what you were saying to one another by walking between these animals that were cut in half is you were essentially saying, if I break this agreement, may, be I, may I be cut up and cut off just like these animals. You're signing the covenant. You're signing the promise. That no matter what, you will keep your end of the bargain. Now what's astounding about this part of the story is that it makes it most striking is that Abraham, he never walks between the halves. He never walks between these divided animals. In fact, the text tells us, if you go back in Genesis 15, that uh, Abraham's asleep, a dark cloud covers over this whole situation and he's in a slumber. And the only one who passes between these separated pieces is this very odd thing, this, uh, this smoking pot and a flaming torch. And then and that's in verse 17 and right after that in verse 18, the passage tells us, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And what the writer is telling us is that God himself passed between these pieces and Abraham did not. The point of that is that God is saying, I will keep both sides of this covenant. I will keep both sides of this promise. He's saying to Abraham about his promise to bless the nations that it's not up to you. You have nothing to do except to accept and believe that I am the covenant keeping God, that I will keep my commitment to you, and I will keep your commitment too, which is astounding. God was saying here in Genesis 15 that he would die before he broke his promise to bless Abraham and through his descendants the whole world. It's permanent it's unchangeable God has signed it in no way does it depend on Abraham and now you might be thinking uh, that's I'm glad that God did that for Abraham that he, he answered Abraham's question he showed him how he can be sure that he will possess these blessings this promise but what about you and me? Well, I want you to remember where we began in, in verse 16. When Paul says, you remember those promises that were made to Abraham, to his offspring? That was really talking about Jesus. What we have here, what Paul is telling us, is that God is saying to us that I will make the promise to bless you. And I will bear the cost when you fail to do your part. Paul is telling us that the cross of Jesus is God in the flesh keeping your part of the covenant as your substitute. That Jesus cut off, he was cut off so that you might receive that promised blessing. God himself promised that he would keep his promise even at the cost of his own life. And Jesus on the cross takes your place. He does for you what you could never do. Jesus both kept God's promises. He kept perfectly loved and obeyed the Father in your place. And he bore the cost of being a covenant breaker, a promise breaker. That's the guarantee of God's promises to you. Your hope and confidence in God's promises in your life do not depend on you. They never have. And that's the lie that Paul is trying to undermine in this, in this book. See, this radically changes how you relate to God. It's all of grace. Jesus is the one to whom God ultimately made his promise. Jesus was the one through whom God would bless the nations. Jesus is the one through whom God would bless you. And in fact, Paul picks up on this whole idea of promise from verse 14 earlier when he says that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised blessing, the promised spirit through faith in Christ. That you would be united to Jesus, that everything that's true about Jesus would be true of you. Now, I just want you to sit with this for the next week. I want you to sit with the, the bigness of God's promises. I want you to sit with the permanence of these promises and the guarantee of them that in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And if that begins to sink in, you will inevitably have to begin to ask, so then why on earth did God give us the law? Which is precisely what, what Paul asks in verse 19. And where we'll pick up next week. But for this week, I just want you to sit with this good news that God's promises are permanent for you. And Jesus has guaranteed it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, you would help us to sit with your promises That you would help us to see and to read the scriptures afresh in light of Jesus. We pray that you would help us to see our own lives afresh in light of Jesus. Father, we give you praise and thanks that you are a covenant-keeping God. That you are so committed to us. That you so love the world. That you took it upon yourself to both bless those who don't deserve it, and also to bear the penalty for those who do deserve it. Father, help us to delight and to rejoice and to find hope and peace and freedom in that good news. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.